0: Hello and welcome again to the Dad Whisper. I love having you here with me today, where we get to talk, you and me, about dads and daughters. I've had so many men tell me, Michelle, you know this stuff applies to my sons too. And I say, I love hearing that because any way that you can make yourself as a dad more equipped to build into their lives so your competence builds, then your confidence builds, and your kids reap the benefits, as do you. Well, you know that every week, the template is on your mark, get set, go. On your mark is the topic, get set. I'm filling that in with stories, with stats. And then go is always the action step where you can put your heart of love for your kids into action. Well, today is part two, a two-part series, with my friend Mark Allen Shelsky. And he last week opened up about his story, which has really been a journey that I called like to the center of his heart, the center of his emotions. He's like, yep, I would call it that too. So Mark, it's a joy to have you back again today.
1: Thanks for having me. This is exciting.
0: I know. we, We were on such a roll and there was so much I was learning from you about your story and just hearing the way that you as a man are willing to be vulnerable and take your mask off just made me say, I want you to speak into the lives of men listening that say, maybe saying, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to admit I don't mm, know how to right. do that. Can you help me? Yeah. So thank you for coming back and being willing to share your story. So how about for those who didn't listen in last week, just give us a bit of an overview of you
1: so they know why we're continuing this conversation. Sure thing. So I'm first born uh, adopted son of a Midwest pastor's family. I grew up in a pretty conservative church environment. Uh, Today, I'm 17 years married with an 11-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. Uh, In the last interview, we talked a little bit about my forming story, how uh, my dad died unexpectedly when I was 11 years old. And so I'm a survivor of childhood trauma, and that really shaped my life. And I became a, a type A, solve a problem, get it done, move forward, accomplish, driven kind of person. And then I ended up crashing. And in that crash, I was put into a position where I had to look at my inner life and had to understand my emotions because I was completely overwhelmed and out of control. And that led to uh, a journey of recovery, understanding my emotions, uh, coming into new relationships with my family, and eventually this book, The Wisdom of Your Heart. And say the subtitle because it's awesome. Yes. The book is The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions.
0: Yeah, who says that that there's power in emotions? Because you and I have talked about the fact that we were both raised—at least that was the Christian cultural norm—whether it was implied or stated. Of we don't go there, right? You, you right. Know, we, we we don't go to that emotional place because it's you know. I always learned that it was fact in front, faith in the middle of the of the train, and where were the emotions? Right the at the end, the caboose. Were at yeah. the end, the caboose. And so, hearing you unpack this as a pastor, as a leader. Is such a joy for me to invite you here because I really believe other men need to hear your message. And the way that you just introduced yourself sets up the stage beautifully for the title. Here's the the On Your Mark today. The title is Uncovering the Mystery of Our Emotions. And you're leading the way, Mark Allen Shelsky, for those of you that are listening in. Well, how about if we continue the journey from last week? And I'd love to ask, you talk in your book about feeling a lot of times through your life like you were on the outside, right? That's Mm -hmm. what you called it. I felt on the outside looking in. And how you even felt that as a pastor, you felt that as a husband, as a father, even though life circumstances might have changed, that was a constant. Hmm. And I don't think most men would either admit to getting in touch with that or maybe admitting it or feeling that uncomfortable feeling, or even if they did, might not know how to face that. How did you, Mark, connect with those
1: hard-to-feel emotions? <laughs> well, I don't think that I would have if I hadn't come to a place of enormous pain. I think that getting to the place where my life was falling apart and I was beginning to lose the things that mattered to me was really the only motivation. because what were I was, you losing? Well, I could tell where I was at. I was in a place of a lot of pain. I was at least had symptoms of depression in the way that I was living my life. I was losing motivation. I was losing my ability to perform and all of that was uh, happening at the same time that all of these emotions that I had not dealt with all the way back to when my dad died when I was 11 and other events that happened through my life that piled up these significant moments of loss, I hadn't dealt with them because I had become the kind of person that in those moments, I had to be the strong one. So I was always the one that was helping people through their losses, walking with people through their trauma. I was the person that would say, it's going to be okay. We're going to be fine but I was not dealing with my losses. I was not facing the pain or anxiety that I was feeling. And because of the circumstances of my life, I got to a place where all of that weight kind of came crushing down on me all at once. And because of that, I was in a place where I had to... I had to deal with this. I had to make a change because it was it was impacting my relationship with my wife. My intimacy was her with her was basically destroyed. It was impacting my leadership in my church and my ability to work with my with the leaders. It was impacting uh, my relationship with my kids. Everything was happening in a way that I didn't want it to happen, but I felt like I had no control over it. I couldn't change it. I could see the train going off a cliff, and I didn't feel any ability to make it be different. And that was new for me. I've always felt like I'm the person who could fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And so here I was, the tools in my backpack were not sufficient for the task at hand. Mm -hmm. And I I had to go somewhere else. I had to get outside of myself. And you even said you weren't getting out of bed for months in between things that you had to do. Right. Yeah. I was just in this cycle where I would get drag myself out of bed and muscle myself up with willpower and do all the work that was necessary to perform well on the weekend as a pastor. And I would do that. And if your only experience of me was seeing me up front as a pastor, you probably thought my life was fine. But then I would drag myself home and I would collapse into bed and I would be useless for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And that's all while we had two young children and my wife is having to manage all of this basically as a single parent. And on top of that has an adult man who can't handle his emotions, whose only tool at that point was to basically reach out to her and ask her to take care of my emotions, right? I needed her to help me feel better, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't fair to her and all the things she was carrying. And so it was just this very difficult, painful, broken spiral that I was living in for months.
0: So back to that question, how did you get in touch with your emotions? I appreciate you being so honest about the crash, as you called it. So how did you do it? How did you, how did you know where to go inside of yourself?
1: Well, it began with honest conversation with my friends, these two friends that I talked about in the last interview. Uh, that they were honest with me about their experience. They'd both experienced a great deal of trauma. They'd both done their homework of dealing with their own stuff. And so I was able to hear them uh, in a way that that they could get through to my heart. And so they, be, they began talking to me about my experience. They both recommended books that I read that I could see myself in. You know those books where you read it and you start calling the book names because the book is saying things about you that you know are true and you wish... <laughs> You wish would not be said, right? And so they gave me those. And, and it was clear in the conversation, they were telling me over and over again, you can't do this by yourself. Like you're used to solving these problems on your own. You can't do it. And so there was really two events that were catalysts. I write about both of these in the book. The first was that one of these friends urged me to go on a retreat with him. Uh, it was a retreat I would never have gone on on my own. It was a retreat for pastors experiencing burnout, which is not a label that I would have accepted For myself. Uh Right. But my friend was like, you can't do this by yourself. You need to go with me. You need to go. And so we went and we went to this experience, this retreat, and there were several things that happened at that retreat that radically changed the way I saw myself. And when I came back from that retreat, I knew uh, that I had to get into therapy I knew that this was not something that I could bear up under the burden by myself. And so then that was the second step. The other friend of mine who was a therapist, um, he didn't do therapy because that's not how you do in relationship, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, you need to have a therapist that is outside of your circle. But he made a recommendation to a therapist. And I didn't have the guts or the courage to hunt for a therapist. I know how difficult it is to find a good therapist. And so I just trusted his judgment, took his recommendation, and went Uh, went to see this therapist and that was that was the turning point where I was saying I can't do this myself I need to surrender some of my journey to another person and really in fact that's almost symbolic of saying I need to surrender some of my journey to God because as a person who is very you know self-confident and had been willing to do it all myself I really as much as I said I was trusting God the truth is I was trusting the tools in my backpack and that's how I got where I was. <laughs> exactly. And
0: it sounds like at the retreat, Mark, that you were open to looking at yourself in a mirror. Like you're saying, I, I saw myself differently. It went in this time.
1: Yeah, I was in a place where I had to. I knew that something had to change. And because this retreat was far away and it was pe- with people I didn't know, it wasn't church members or, you know, I felt the freedom that if these people thought badly of me, it didn't matter. You know, And so I was able to be non-defensive, yeah. and that opened up some significant doors of understanding for me.
0: And, you know, I, I have had men tell me that, too. I've had clients through the years that haven't been in the area because of that very thing of mm-hmm. self-disclosure, and they don't feel like they can in their community. But I want to say to men here, since I'm a shrink, right, this is what I do for a living, there are many places, like Mark's describing, around the country yeah. that if you Google retreat centers, you know, faith-based or mm-hmm. God-centered, christ focused Mm -hmm. retreat. They're around. There are people that can take you through an intensive when you don't know where to go or or where to turn. So let me just ask another question. In your book, you talk... Here's a quote that I I pulled from it. You said, emotions serve in some ways like warning lights on the dashboards of our cars. And then you talk about that dam finally breaking where you started actually letting yourself... Cry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but that's not a topic I have a lot of men come (laughs) to me as a client. As a client, they're saying, can you help me, Michelle, with learning how to cry less? Yeah, I think that's a great
1: next episode for you.
0: (laughs) Right. There you go. So what happened in you that finally made you reach that breaking point where you were willing to let yourself cry?
1: Well, I it's it's very difficult. I've got, you know, several decades under my belt being a type A problem solver. That's my go-to skill set. It's the way I've handled stress and problems in my life. Whenever I feel stress, I'm like, "Okay, how do we fix this? <laughs> how do we change the circumstances?" And and so the series of crises that I was in that really pushed me to the edge of my capacity made it so that I couldn't the tools in my backpack weren't sufficient. And so then all these emotions are beginning to leak out of me and I didn't know what to do. I found myself in circumstances that felt so unlike me. You know, I write in the book about... Uh, leaving a meeting that was particularly stressful and sitting in my car, grabbing onto the steering wheel, like it was a life preserver, like I was going to die and just feeling waves and waves of emotional pressure. I couldn't even identify whether it was anger or sadness or anything because I just, uh, all it was, was discomfort. And you didn't have a vocabulary. I didn't, I didn't have words for it. This isn't who I was, you know, but I came to a place through the input of these friends and, and really, hearing what they had to say where I just, I knew it was true that I couldn't solve this myself. I mean, if you're dealing with burnout, you can't work harder your way out of burnout. Mm -hmm. Like that's not the way you solve the problem. And so I wouldn't say that I was willing to cry. I I would say that emotions surged out of me because I had not been attending to them for so long. And I think God used that experience to help me begin paying attention to this really important part of my life.
0: Yeah. So- I'm just going to use you as an expert here and ask, why, Mark, do you believe so many men struggle to cry and maybe even see it as weakness?
1: to feel their feelings. Well, that's a script that we've been given by our culture. There's no question. You know, men are supposed to be strong. We've got all these phrases like, never let them see you sweat. You know, we tell our kids, walk it off. You know, they hurt themselves at little league practice, walk it off, you know, put some dirt on it, you know, (laughs) be a man. You know, we even have these slang phrases that we use, you know, where we say something like, you know, that really took balls. And if you think about that phrase, what that phrase is saying is it's connecting a male body part with courage. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's the connection we're saying that if you're a man and anatomically you have courage. So it's, it's in you as a man to be brave and strong and never let them see weakness. Well, that, that's, that is not the way God made us. That's a cultural script. And so we've learned this idea that to show weakness is to fail. And so all those feelings that are uncomfortable feelings that kind of sweep over us mm-hmm. like sadness and anxiety and fear, They make us feel vulnerable and vulnerability is scary. And that's the opposite of our script about what men are supposed to be like. Exactly. Well, as a pastor, as a leader, what
0: impact, Mark, if I could ask you, what impact have you seen on men when they're not in
1: touch with their emotions? Well, this may sound strange. But being out of touch with our emotions is a root cause of enormous pain. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Say that again. (laughs) Being out of touch with our emotions is a root cause for enormous pain. Mm. We don't even realize that it's happening. But what happens when we're out of touch with our emotions is that it leads to poor communication. We can't hear people well because a significant percentage of communication is emotional and intuitive. It leads to damaged intimacy because emotional connection is the currency of relationship. And so if we cannot connect emotionally, we can't have intimacy, no matter how badly we want it. Mm-hmm. And so that leads to broken marriages and destructive parenting. In, in churches, it leads to broken churches. In workplaces, it leads to painful, toxic work relationships. And in some situations with men who can't understand or handle their anger, it leads to violence and abuse. Mm-hmm. All of those things are the fruit of men not being able to hear their emotions well.
0: I just envision right now like a group of men standing here, fathers, if they grew up in a family where they were trained that way it's not manly and it's really hard to go against that track that foundation that was laid what would
1: you say to them about where do you start when that just feels like too big of a bridge well let's flip the script if the script is that it's manly to have courage then it's manly to face and walk through our uncomfortable emotions because courage is courage and emotion, or is it emotion-based reality? Right, and it's facing it's facing difficult things, right? And so, lots of men can think that they're going to face some difficult challenge. You know, if someone threatened my family, I would have the courage to stand up and defend them. Okay, well, facing your emotions is a difficult challenge. Do you have the courage to face that? I love it. Woohoo! That's a, that's a reframe. We call that right. right. Same picture, right. same data, put a different
0: frame around it and looks different. Yep. that it is manly and courageous
1: to face emotions right so another script right it's manly to be a protector well if it's manly to be a protector then it's manly to deal with our emotions so that we can protect the people we love we don't want our broken emotions to cause damage if it's manly to be strong honestly with what i've been through i don't know anything stronger than facing the pain anger fear and sorrow that's within you mm-hmm. that takes enormous mm-hmm. strength and courage and fortitude so this is something we have to do like if you if you If the language of being a godly man or being a strong man, if that language is evocative to you, well, this is going to be how you do that. You're not going to become the man you can be by avoiding, discounting, or repressing your emotions. You have to face it.
0: You have to face it. And your recommendation would be either find other men you can honestly, vulnerably admit what's
1: really going on or find a therapist who can walk you through that don't yeah. do it alone. Right. Yeah, there's a sequence, right? You're good. you need to do some debriefing yourself. I personally use journaling for that and I recommend that. You need a mechanism where you can get the thoughts and feelings out of your head and evaluate. Look at what happened, why did it happen? So you, can, you
0: weren't doing that prior to what you call your crash.
1: I wasn't doing it. I mean, I've certainly I'm kind of a writer and so I've been writing a lot, but I wasn't doing it for this purpose. I wasn't writing with the purpose of evaluating and understanding what was going on inside of me. And so my journaling changed dramatically.
0: And I liked how on our last show a week ago, you had said, you know, put the notes in your phone because I have clients that do that. Mm -hmm. Male clients that pull their phone out and go, here's what I've written down since last week.
1: Right. The, The goal is not to have a leather bound journal that you write in fancy handwriting. The goal is to debrief your emotional experiences. What happened? Why did I feel the way that I did? How did I respond? Did I respond in a way that is in keeping with who I want to be? that process of evaluation is how you learn and grow. Mm-hmm. You don't learn and grow just by having experiences. You learn and grow by reflecting on them. So that's the first part. You can do that by yourself. The second part is that you have other people who are comfortable with this conversation to sit down and talk about your journey with, right? They need to be people that are comfortable with you being angry or sad or upset. They, they, they can't fix you. They have to just be with you in it. And then the third step that some of us need is that we need a professional that's outside of our head. You know, that's the therapist to sit down with you and help you learn how to process through these things. Uh, not because you're weak, not because you're navel-gazing, but because understanding how your body and brain function is how you become most effective.
0: You know I'm loving what you're talking about. I mean, this this has not only been my journey, but that is what I believe God used to call me to this profession mm. in the last two decades of being invited to walk with other mm. people into their journeys that are hard. But here's the next thought that comes to me is that I imagine there might be men listening that say, okay, Mark. This is the exact reason, everything <laughs> you're saying, that I don't want to connect with my emotions. This takes way too much time. It's going to be way too hard. And I would imagine some men might be even saying, I think I'm going to fall apart. Then how am I going to provide for my family? Mm, how right. am I going to be able to cope? What would you say to them to encourage them like not to repress or ignore what's, what's
1: coming up to be healed? Sure, well, I think that the the beginning point is simply this: if you like the way your life is going and you enjoy the level of depth your relationships have, then by all means continue doing what you're doing. I don't know a lot of men who can say yes to those two questions though.
0: Oh, say them again. If you, if you
1: like where your life is and you enjoy the depth of relationships you have, yeah then obviously you're fine. you know you' what you're doing must be working mm-hmm. right. But when I talk to to people and men in particular, So many say their relationships don't have the depth they want. They want more intimacy. They want more connection with their spouse. So many of them are unhappy about some aspect of their life, and they're just trudging along, hoping that everything will be fine. And if that's where you are, the bottom line that you have to understand is this. Emotional debts always come to collect what they are owed. Emotions aren't—you can think that you're controlling them or avoiding them or denying them or that you're just, quote-unquote, not that emotional of a person. You can think that, but the way emotions work in our body and brain is that they generate motive energy. That's the energy that gets you to act out when you're angry, right? They generate energy and that energy has to be manifested somewhere. It's going to be manifested in your attitude. It might be manifested in bodily sickness or Mm -hmm. illness. It might be manifested in stress. It'll be manifested in one way or another until you learn how to listen and deal with your emotions. And so if you're finding those kinds of clues in your life, like, when you get angry, you're disproportionately angry, right? You're way more angry than the thing that happened, or or maybe you're snappish with your spouse for no reason that you can tell, or maybe uh, you find yourself at the end of the work week instead of feeling thankful that your week is over, you feel uh, almost like a sense of hopelessness, like oh, it's going to happen again. Like if you find those clues, or maybe people in your life they tell you things like, you know, I can't really connect with you. Are you paying attention to me? Are you here? If those clues are happening, guess what? You've got stuff to deal with. you got stuff to deal with. You know, this is a great
0: segue into one of the sentences you said in your book, or it's a couple sentences. I want to read this here. You admitted, anger is the emotion I wrestle with most. Mm -hmm. However, I've learned to listen, which is what you're saying now. And you said, my anger has become a capable teacher. You went on to say, because anger is the emotion we feel when someone or something we love is violated. It's an embarrassingly accurate indicator of where our love lies. Right. The intensity of our anger gauges how exactly, how much we care about that person or that thing being violated. I just so appreciated you linking anger to love right. because I don't know that maybe every man listening has maybe put that together or stops just with the anger and gets stuck moving through it to love and connecting to that. What would you tell men that go, I'm
1: in touch with my emotions because I have a lot of anger every day. Right. Well, that that experience, that understanding came to me because I was reflecting on my anger. Why do I feel so angry? So let me try and give a very quick example. Um, My son does something, and uh, it's something I don't like, and I tell him to stop doing it. And he doesn't immediately obey. And then all of a sudden, this feeling erupts inside of me of anger that he has not obeyed me in the way I wanted when I wanted and my anger is big like way bigger than the violation okay so that's something that has happened in my life a lot well as i began to reflect on that um what 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 happened is that i Could see, hey, I was, what happened was kind of a small deal. I was really angry. Well, what was the problem? Well, he didn't obey me. That's important. He needs to obey me. So I evaluated that. Well, why does he need to obey me? Well, because I'm the dad. Well, yeah, that's true. But why would I get so angry? Right. And the anger is pointing to something that's been violated. Well, what was violated? Well, the more I dug into that, what I discovered was that what was violated is that I have a high value of being treated with respect. And if my son is not obeying me when and where I say he's not treated, Me with respect. And then God called me deeper into that. Why do you need to be treated with respect so much, Mark? And what I discovered was, well, I have a a value that people see me as competent and capable. My sense of value is built on that. And so by evaluating my anger, what I learned was, God was showing me, hey, Mark, you've got an idol active in your heart that people need to see you a certain way. And if they don't treat you with the kind of respect you think you deserve, you get angry right? Well, that whole sequence of learning happened by evaluating my anger, not just reacting to it. Going layer by layer down. Right.
0: Oh my goodness. So good. Last question I've got for you is the go step. Today, we've been talking about uncovering the mystery of our emotions. What would you now say, Mark, to men listening of a way that they can begin to take more action of looking within?
1: All right. So uh, pastors uh, in sermons like to divide the world into broad categories. So I'll do that right here. There are, <laughs> there are probably two kinds of men listening to this today, uh, and the go step is going to be different for each one. Some men know right now that emotional maturity is an issue for them. Maybe they haven't talked about it before or pursued it, but they know in their gut that they need to deal with this. So for those men, they need to pick up a copy of my book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, and see if as they read it, if they see themselves in the pages, because if they do, that will give them a clue about where they need to head next to deal with this. But other men, they don't know that this is an issue at all. They're wondering why we're even having this conversation. They're right where I was. They're working hard. They feel like everything is fine. They're too busy to stop. Naval gazing is the last thing on their mind. And so here's the assignment (laughs) for them. It's going to be a hard one, but you're men, you have courage, so you'll do it. (laughs) Go find four people in your life who know you well. I suggest your spouse, your oldest child, a peer at work, and a good friend. Four people, ask them one question and prepare yourself to listen. No response, no defensiveness, just listen. And this is the question. In your experience of me, do you think I hear and understand how you feel? Oh, say it again. In your experience of me, do you think I hear and understand how you feel? Now, here's the biggest thing. Their words will matter, but what matters more is how they answer you. If they hem and haw, that means they don't feel safe telling you the truth about you. And that tells you right there the answer that you need to know. Listen without defending yourself, and you may find that the life you're living is not as emotionally connected as you think.
0: Oh, so good. Oh, today we've been talking, Mark Allen, Shelsky, and me, we've been talking about uncovering the mystery of our emotions. Thank you, Mark, for being vulnerable, for leading the way for other men who want to follow your example. You can go to his website, which is M-A-R-C-A-L-A-N-S-C-H-E-L-S-K-E. I had to spell that one out. Thank you for joining this conversation today on The Dad Whisper. It's been a joy to have you here. And we together, Mark and I, are saying to dads together, get out there, get in touch with your own emotions yeah. so that you can be the dad that God has called you to be. Go dads. That's right.